everyone, and welcome to another episode of the Decision Hour. Got a great show lined up for you today. Uh, get your notes. Uh, get get your note taking skills ready because you, you need to be taking notes on this one. It's a sharp and educational uh, type of show today, and uh, I figured, you know what? Uh, I'm, I'm gonna. I don't know why I'm, I must be glutton for punishment, but I'm gonna bring my 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 good friend Heather Dobson back on to to co-host this one with me, Heather. I know it's I'm the one you love to hate, hate to love, <laughs> whatever it is, however it goes. <laughs> How you doing? I'm doing fantastic. I see what you did there in your your intro, trying yeah. to be a little punny. Yeah, let's uh, slide that in there, and I think maybe people will appreciate it once we tell them what we got yeah. going on today. Yeah, so I'm excited about today's guest. Um, I am a believer in firearms. I'm a supporter of the Second Amendment. Yep. I live in Arizona, mm-hmm. constitutional carry, and I typically carry a gun with me every day. I have a CCW. Um, I choose to carry concealed. And a lot of people in a lot of places do. I also carry a knife with me, pocket knife usually, or maybe it's in my my bag or whatever, but I, I carry a knife. And I got to thinking one day, Even as a cop, back in my much younger days when I was a cop, we all carried knives, right? Mm -hmm. Like you never see a a cop without a knife, but I never got any kind of knife training, not defensive, not offensive, nothing. It was more used for like utility. Right. Okay. Right. It's, it's utility. You know, I'm going to open boxes or maybe you got to cut a seatbelt with it or something. Right. But I got to thinking about this, like, why am I carrying a knife? And I found myself one day, like I was carrying my knife because I was not carrying my gun for whatever reason, I'm going to carry my knife. And in my head, my knife is a defensive tool. But then I realized I have zero training, right? Like I, I have zero. So I set out on this quest to find an edged weapons instructor here in Arizona. And I will tell you, it is not an easy quest to find someone who just, knows what they're doing. I like the fact that you said you went out on a quest. Like I did, a- <laughs> you know. I like it little adventures. There you go. So I would love to introduce you today okay. to Nick LaRosa. He is my personal edged weapons trainer. And he owns a private martial arts training facility here in Arizona. Nick, thank you so much for taking time out of your day to be with us. Yeah, absolutely. Thank you guys for having me. I appreciate it. So here's the thing. A lot of times when you, when you, carry, when you see people who carry guns or you know people who carry guns, they also carry a knife. And people are training with their guns, at least I hope they are. But very few people are training with their knife. And even if they say, hey, I'm just going to use my knife to get somebody off of me so I can get my gun. Well, what training have you have you done for that? So, Nick, I want to dive right into this about this conversation about why should or should not people carry knives and what's the importance behind training? Yeah. Okay. So if you are carrying a gun, especially EDC, you're carrying it every day because you're carrying it for self-defense purposes, assuming you should be carrying a knife alongside that firearm. Reason being 
an entanglement or any type of clinch situation that you may find yourself into where you go to draw your firearm and someone either prevents you from drawing it or you guys end up in a wrestling match or someone tries to grab your firearm from you. You don't want to wrestle over the firearm. So your next best means would be to grab that knife and use that as retention to get someone off your gun so you can properly create distance and deploy that firearm. Um, what ends up happening you know, that we've seen is that people carry their knives incorrectly or we do training in the gym and we use the rubber gun and we put ourselves in these types of situations and scenarios and that person may not have a knife on them. In this case, we'd be talking about a rubber knife and you can see how effective it is for someone to take your gun without the person carrying a gun having a knife on them. Now, when the tables turn and the person who's carrying the gun also is carrying a knife and you end up in that wrestling situation, you can see when the knife gets deployed, the person gets way off that gun, creates distance, and that gives the person who's carrying the gun appropriate time distance to deploy that firearm. Yeah, absolute yeah. critical point. So this is now I, I learned so much. I have learned so much from from Nick already in just the short period of time that I've known him. But one of the things that I was taught when I was a cop is that you carry your knife on the um, opposite side of your gun. So if you're right handed and you have your gun mm -hmm. in your holster on your belt on the right hand side, then you have a knife on the left hand side um, because, mm -hmm. you know, whatever reason that but that's like cop to cop. Right. This is not mm -hmm. any education or training. It's just like that's the way we do it. And you carry the knife in your pocket. Generally, you don't see a lot of of cops carrying knives on their belt, maybe on their, you know, their their outer vest now. Nick, talk a little bit about placement of of where you carry. Don't don't say how yet because I want to I want to help reveal that because it was really cool. But but placement as far as if I'm if I'm right handed, let's talk about law enforcement first of all. If you're right handed, where should you be carrying a knife? Yeah. So if you're right handed and you deploy your firearm with your right hand, you want your gun on the complete opposite side, which in this case would be your left. So the way I like to look at this coming from any type of martial art, including gunfighting, is you want to break the body into hemispheres. You go straight from the chin all the way down to the pelvic region. So you can have a right hemisphere and a left hemisphere. So if the gun's on the right hemisphere, your knife should be placed on your left hemisphere, hopefully on a belt, not in a pocket. We'll talk about that in a little bit. Um, as for placement, um, it's funny. Here's a quick little story. I did a VCQB shooting course about a week ago, and... Um, there was like seven or eight law enforcement guys there, three, three SWAT guys, bunch of uh, active and veteran uh, military. And most of the people were carrying giant fixed blade knives on the same side of their firearm uh, directly behind the gun, or they were carrying it in a vertical 12 to six position in the center of their back. Yeah. Which and that, we'll that's... get into Right. And that's what I've, I've seen that too. And that's what I always carried my knife in my left pocket because somebody way back when told me that's where I should do it. But I had plenty of other cops tell me, no, you should carry your, your knife on your strong hand side. You should always carry your knife. And I, I still see that a lot where 
right-handed, right-side gun, right-side knife. Um, mm -hmm. the, the class that he's talking about, by the way, VCQB is a, a, a vehicle close quarter combat uh, or close quarter battle training class. Mm -hmm. um, Nick, let's talk about for, for everyday people, if, if I've chosen to carry a gun concealed or otherwise, um, and you've made the recommendation that carrying a knife, if you're gonna, like Nick, I know that Nick, whenever he goes somewhere, he always has his knife and he always has his gun and, he, and it's on body. Um, we could have a whole other episode about off body carry, which is something neither one of us are really recommending. <laughs> Um, yeah, I'm not Nick, an advocate for that. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Let's talk about um, uh, from an EDC standpoint, everyday carry um, as mm -hmm. a regular person, a regular citizen. How should my setup be? Where should I be carrying my knife um, if I plan to use my knife for defense? If it's just a utility knife, fine, put it in your pocket. Go ahead, Adam. Well, I got, I'm going to back up for a second here, so forgive yeah. me, but. What type of knife should people be carrying if they're not carrying a knife right now? Yeah, it's a it's a great question that I didn't know the answer to. And, and Nick has, like, I have learned so much and I already have a new knife. So go ahead, Nick. Okay, so I obviously I'm not going to give brands or names. I'm not going to do that. But specific things that you want to be looking for in a blade, if you plan on carrying it specifically for self-defense or firearm retention, you're going to be wanting to look for a blade that's double-edged. What that means is you have a front and a back, so it's not just your traditional front blade. You also want to find a grip handle that fits your hand correctly, not too big, not too small. And the second or third thing that I'd be looking for is a forged knife. What that means is that it was basically handcrafted and not uh, mass-produced, essentially. These are more of your expensive knives. Um, these are what you get from a bladesmith. Reason being, if you end up in some sort of situation and you, let's say, stab somebody and the blade gets caught in the clavicle, which we've seen, um, and you go to retract the knife, the blade will snap. Mm -hmm. You're talking fixed blade versus... Fixed blade, yes. Versus folding knife. And you yeah, see- Yeah, sorry, I should have made that clear. Nope, that's totally, totally fine. You see most people, Adam, I mean, in general, we see folding knives. Yeah, yeah. You know, and that's that's what I always carried yeah. was a folding knife. That's what I had uh, too, a little small six inch. Mm -hmm. yeah. yeah, folding knives are strictly for utility. Anybody who says that they carry that for self-defense has a false sense of security. Yeah. The and I'll give second you, that cuts flesh, it'll break. Yeah. And the, I'll give you this great example. Nick and I have some mutual friends in common who are very well versed in firearms. They've had tons of training. They make a lot of great videos uh, and, and people who I respect in, in the firearm space. And uh, they were, you know, with Nick and Nick, noticed that they were both carrying knives and then asked them, Nick, didn't you ask them if, if how much knife training they'd had? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And they both were like, um, none. <laughs> 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 yeah. And I mean, and these are like, these are well-known, well-respected, uh, you know, firearms guys in the community. And so it just goes to show like, this is an additional tool 
to add to your to your your kit of of survival. So my, I got another question, Nick. Is is you know you, you, you I know you talked about martial arts uh, a little bit, um, and mm-hmm. and I and I get that I I trained years on it, but when it comes to like knife defense or doing like you know blade defense and, and whatnot, what type of for a beginner or somebody that's listening to the show that that wants to take a step into this world, what are what should they be looking at as far as training? Is there a specific uh, um, type of art form of martial arts that they could do to get it like a, a just a base foundation? Okay, so let's assume we're specifically talking about just knife training. Okay. A couple different knife arts that that person would want to be looking for would either be Eskrima, Kali, anything that's going to be FMA based, which could be a mix of Silat, Eskrima and Kali, which is just Filipino martial arts. Right. And then if you want to dip on the opposite side, uh, which would be more on the uh, East would be Karab Maga, which is that Israeli martial art, but that's more of like the empty hand tactics point they don't do a whole lot of the knife on knife training until your years into it however if you get more on the western side which would have been the uh the filipino side that's a lot of the knife on knife uh fighting which personally that's where you get like a lot of your knife attacks from got it so nick if people wanted to check out some of the uh, training that you have in the, the videos that you've done where can they find you yeah, so they can find me on YouTube and Instagram at Professor LaRosa. Yeah, Instagram and YouTube, Professor LaRosa. He's got some really yeah. cool videos, and, and there's one in particular that really caught my attention before I um, decided to, to train with Nick, and it is, okay, we've talked about which side potentially to carry your knife on. We've talked about what kind of knife. Um, so Adam, horizontal or vertical carry? You know, it's, it's, it's weird because I heard you say horizontal, I heard you say vertical in the back earlier. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And and to me that I would think that that's ridiculous. Yeah. I I would say more, if we're talking like in, and, and quite frankly, being a, uh, kind of a catch fighter, and if I go on my back, I don't want it on my back horizontal. Nick had said something uh, earlier on 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 having on a belt. Well, if you, if you have a belt on, as, you, as most do, putting it on a belt on the opposite side is where I usually carry it. Now there are times with now that I have, uh, depending on which which knife I'm carrying, usually it is a, a, a flip or a fold. Uh, knife, which I will after today will no longer be doing, <laughs> doing that. Uh, it's usually like in, in in my pocket or something like that because I, I usually wear shirts tucked in, so I don't want to draw a lot of attention. Right. There's nothing wrong with a folding mm. knife as long You're as right. you know that it's for utility. Right. Right. It's not. Gonna, I mean, it's going to like it will be a a tool of absolute last resort for right. any type of defensive situation. Right. So Correct. Nick, let's talk a yep. little bit about direction of carry and why that's important yeah sure so i carry my knife lateral and i try to have all my students carry in that same manner as long as they are comfortable carrying edc Um, obviously this is going to be used with a belt but the reason why i carry it lateral so again we're going to talk about the body breaking in the hemisphere so if i carry my gun personally i carry right side appendix 
So it's just slight off right appendix of my uh, pelvic region. So I carry my knife in a lateral position on the left appendix hemisphere. So my handle of my knife actually points slightly downward about a 35 degree angle. That makes it for an efficient draw. So if we go back and we look in history and we look at the samurais, how they used to draw their swords, they carried the swords laterally and they would draw across the body. Reason why they would do that is they can get an effective draw off the draw. They can get a cut if someone's close to them. Third thing is they can access it right and left handed. So we're going to look at that same concept while we have a firearm on our right side. If someone is bunching me up and they have, let's say, a two, uh, two hands on my firearm, I may have my right hand pinning their hand to my firearm to create that friction so they cannot properly um, deploy the firearm out of my own holster. So I'm trapping them to my firearm. My left hand may take a reverse grip onto my knife that's on a left hemisphere. It's probably going to have the ice pick grip, which is the reverse. And as I draw that across my body, it's going right into their arms or right into their wrist. It's grabbing the gun. And then I can use that again for the retention purpose to get them off my gun. My right hand now is still, um, I can access my firearm while I have a knife in my left hand because you can still shoot one handed. Yeah. And see, that's the, that's the challenge, Adam, when you're seeing people that are right side carry and then they're, they're carrying a, a knife on their right side too, yeah. especially for a law enforcement officer, if a person is going after, if a bad guy is going after something like their gun, then they've got both their hands over here. They don't have the capability to reach over to their left side or left appendix side and, and draw their knife because it's, on the right side of their belt behind their holster. Right. Like it's locked so down. So they're twisting too. their body. Yep. Yeah. So the, the other video... thing too with the left. Oh, go sorry. Ahead, Nick. No, go ahead, Nick. Yeah. The thing with the lateral carry, one more thing too, that makes it more of an appealing option, which I showed Heather, is if someone were to grab your knife and you're carrying in a vertical position, you can't deploy the knife whatsoever. doesn't matter if you're stronger than them. You can't because it's your body doesn't naturally move in an upright position like that where you're pulling your hand to your armpit. Um, however, you're carrying in a lateral position. They um, trap the knife to you. While I still have my hand on that grip, and they may have a two-on-one, what that means is they have two hands on my one wrist, and my wrist, my hand is controlling the knife. It's still in the sheath or holster, whatever you may be carrying for that knife. What you can do is you can shimmy or jerk your hips towards the direction that the sheath is pointed. So in this case, I'm carrying my knife in a left appendix, lateral position. So my sheath is most likely, my blade is pointed to the left of my body. So I get into a low center of gravity. I have my right hand on my knife, so I'm gonna do a cross draw. I shimmy my hips to the left, and without me having to pull the knife, I never move my arm. The knife comes right out of the sheath. I will tell you that this is the video that I saw, and we'll link to it in, in the show notes. The video of him demonstrating this blew my mind at how simple it was to like make a fundamental shift from, from carrying in my pocket or carrying vertically or, or whatever, like carrying laterally or that, that horizontal position what a simple move using body mechanics will do to be able for me to be able to draw that knife from the sheath 
even if, even if somebody has that pinned to me and I saw that video. And then when we did it in, in training, like it's unbelievable how you're like, holy shit. Why have I, why, (laughs) why do we not know this? Why are we not being trained on this as law enforcement or why are not more people talking about this? (laughs) Yeah. Um, so, so if you're carrying a gun and, and you are carrying a knife, then I, I really want people out there to get training on edged weapons and finding an instructor is very, very difficult. I, I will tell you that because there are a lot of people who are driven by ego and who don't really know what they're talking about. So it's very challenging. It was difficult for me to find someone like Nick here in Arizona and, um, you can follow him on Instagram, follow him on YouTube. He's got some really amazing videos. But if you are carrying a knife and you're planning to use it, or you have just the thought in your head that it's for defensive purposes, please get some training. Just like, I mean, your life could potentially depend on it. Nick, I got a question for you. Um, what what prompted you to, to start this and, and to get into training uh, other people? Like how did how did this all start? Did uh, you like wake up one day and he's like, you know what? That's what I'm gonna do. No, uh, so I started when I was 12 years old. Um, I got into martial arts, and by the time I was 16, I was already teaching at one of the premier academies here in Arizona. Um, and then when I turned 18, I turned professional, fought professional for a little bit, was traveling all over the United States. I ended up leaving that facility um, April 2019. Two weeks later, uh, I opened up my own business, and here I am today. Nice. And and thank God for him. I mean, seriously, like it just didn't. I've had one session with him, and I just my eyes have been opened in in so many different ways. Not only that, but it also motivated me to do more and to learn more because it's it's the the training I've done with Nick isn't just about okay, I'm using my knife to get somebody off of my gun or to get to my gun, but also bad guy has a knife. I don't have a knife. What are the, the defensive and, and I'm unarmed bad guy has a knife. I have a knife. What are the, like, there's so many different levels here and layers and it's, it's just fascinating to me. But one of the other things that Nick talks about and I, and I 100% agree is not discussed often enough. As I've mentioned before, Adam, on this show, I'm also a firearms instructor and I focus on teaching beginners. Mm -hmm. So women and uh, families and kids and people who have very limited firearms, understanding of firearms. But something that is not talked about enough is some type of emergency medical training beyond CPR. So everybody in this country, it's been beaten in our heads that we should know how to do CPR. But what's missing is what are the next steps of trauma treatment that we as individuals can learn? Nick, talk a little bit about why that's so important and what people can do. Yeah, so having that type of medical training, the reason why people don't really learn it and why instructors don't teach it is because it's not technically sexy, right? It's not the John Wick. It's not the tactical. It's not the knives and the guns and the cool movement, right? It's actually more practical and more important than that. I've heard people where they're like, Hey, you know, I've had to use this training, whether it be on my 
daughter, sister, a random person hiking, but you rarely hear someone like, yeah, that shooting class I did. Yeah. I implemented that last week. I got you know a big shootout. You don't hear about that that often, but where the medical can play in a day-to-day basis, whether it be an accident, it could be a mass shooting event. There were, you're somewhere and a mass shooter happens, or it could be a car accident that you roll up on or that you're involved in where you need to treat yourself or someone else. Um, so this type of training is going to come down to, for civilians primarily, is going to be stop the bleed. If you have some sort of military experience, it's going to be TCCC. If you have law enforcement or EMT experience, it's going to be uh, TECC. Some places do offer that for civilians, but it is rare. Um, but where we're going to go with this is just having basic knowledge of stopping bleed, whether that be tourniquet application, wound packing, or even just stabilization. A lot of people where I've seen where they get in car accidents, they start trying to pull the bodies out immediately. And that's where injury is going to occur, especially in the neck and the vertebrae. Um, but another example is <clears throat> tourniquets. So you carry a gun, you carry a knife, you think you're hot shit, you go out, you end up in a shooting or you end up witnessing a shooting or some sort of accident. But one, you have no medical training and two, you have no medical supplies on you. You need to be able to train for the full 360, not just the 180. What I mean by that is there's always going to be an after, the after effect of some sort of violent situation usually occurs with some sort of injury or someone bleeding. If you cannot treat that, whether it be yourself, a loved one, or a foe, okay, you cannot save a life. If you can save a life, one, it's going to look better in court. Two, you're going to keep your loved one alive. Or three, you're going to keep yourself alive. So having the proper medical knowledge, having the proper equipment and carrying it with you. And now when we say this, we're not talking carrying an entire medical bag with you. It could be as simple as keeping one to two tourniquets on you, uh, maybe a big like Gen 7 cat or maybe a smaller one like a SWAT T and, you know, maybe a chest seal in your back pocket or some sort of gauze and like an ankle eye pack. Or maybe you carry a fanny pack for, uh, for a woman who'd be like a purse. Um, so yeah, that's something that I'm a big advocate on. Yeah, and I want to stress the importance of this for everyone. This is not just for people who carry guns or knives or, or anything, but for any human being alive, understanding how to act quickly and save lives, especially when it comes to being able to stop bleeding. The number one cause of preventable death after injuries is bleeding. People bleed out. And so where there's this big push, there has been a big push for, for, for as long as we've been alive, I think, to learn CPR, right? And to get, get certified to CPR and understand the changes and all that kind of stuff. We're now where it's only chest compressions. But CPR is not going to save somebody's life if they're bleeding out. And so there is an organization out there called StopTheBleed.org. And this is a, this is the organization that is working to like pleading with the, with the public to just get trained, understand how to use a tourniquet, understand how just applying pressure to a wound, if it's an arterial bleed, is not going to save somebody's life. You can apply all the pressure you want, they're still going to bleed out. And so if you go to stopthebleed.org, you can find training courses all over the country and there's all types of people who who offer these courses. Um, Adam, you and I have a mutual connection uh, who teaches the the course, and they offer this particular um, trainer, um, Independence Training here in Arizona. They offer Stop the Bleed for free. 
like you go for free because they just want to get the awareness right. out there. Nick, do you have any other recommendations outside of stopthebleed.org uh, where people can start learning, you know, some some of these um, skills? Uh, yeah, some hospitals actually offer, like you said, free medical training, whether it be BLS, basic life-saving skills, CPR, AED, and then uh, some some spots like uh, National Forest, uh, once in a while, will offer like the wilderness first aid. Um, but yeah, primarily for civilians, it's going to be a little tricky. You can pay money and, you know, do the medical courses that, you know, some ex-military instructors will teach. But if you're looking for free or very cheap, those are probably going to be your best options. Yeah. Yeah. And there's all there's all different levels of, of courses with the Stop the Bleed course. It's fundamental how to apply pressure to a wound, how to pack a wound to control bleeding and how to correctly apply a tourniquet. Those are the three fundamental components of a Stop the Bleed training. And everybody, in my opinion, every human being should have that kind of training and you should train your kids too. Because this, this kind of stuff helps prevent deaths from anything, from injuries and accidents in the home, whether you're playing sports, um, whatever it is, like accidents happen. And if, if you can save your own life or save somebody else's life because you know how to control that bleeding, like it's, a, it's an essential tool. Agreed. Yeah. Nick, one more time, tell us where we can check out your training videos. Yeah, so I post three times a week video-wise on my YouTube page, Professor LaRosa, and then my Instagram is the same name, Professor LaRosa, and on there I upload more of like the behind the scenes and past fights and stuff for people who are more into the uh, martial arts. For the YouTube, I post a lot of shooting content, a lot of discussion, and a lot of uh, basically how-to tutorials, whether it be with a knife, your hand, a gun, whatever it may be. The reason why I started that is because I understand a lot of people don't have good trainers in their area, so you can go online and watch this. And with the coronavirus, a lot of people didn't have money to go train or gyms were closed. So I was doing this and posting, you know, very regularly so people could still stay up to date and, you know, practice at their home or just get mental repetition. Yeah, I love it. And Adam, you know that I'm so particular and outspoken about instructors of, yep. of any kind. Yes. And when it comes to this kind of stuff, like I am, like I only want to work with the best of the best. And I've, I've had some really negative experiences with some trainers yep. and I'm not shy to, to talk about those and why I felt like they were negative experiences. In this industry, whether it's firearms training, um, edged weapons training, probably to some extent um, martial arts training, I, I, I can't speak a whole lot on that, but there's a lot of people who are just ego driven yeah. and um, and then maybe just YouTube trained themselves. And so then they think they can start going and, and training, <laughs> but when training other people, but when we're talking about these kinds of things, like these are life saving yeah. skills mm -hmm. that I am investing in. And when I do that, I want to make sure that I am only aligning myself with the best of the best. Right. And when I make recommendations, 
I'm only recommending people who, who I, uh, you heard Trust. me say it. He's right. yeah. yeah, he's my instructor yeah. and I, I would never assign my name or my brand to somebody who I didn't trust. No, I 100% agree with you on that. I was checking out his, while we were doing this, I was checking out his, his Instagram stuff and all the content that's up there and stuff like that. And it's, it's cool. Yeah. I'm looking forward to checking out some of the videos and stuff too. Yeah. Nick, thank you so much for your time today. Um, I, I want to continue to, to help you spread the message on the importance of one, if you're carrying a gun, you should carry a knife. And if you're carrying a knife, you should train with that knife. Yeah. And two, the, the medical component of, of understanding how, how to treat injuries. Yeah, absolutely. Thank you guys for having me. I appreciate it. I think you're doing great work and I truly appreciate you being here. Yeah, thank you. All right, folks, that's all the time that we have today for this episode of the Decision Hour. But uh, before we let you go, big shout out to our home parent network, Heroes Media Group. Go over there, check out all the shows, articles, and the shenanigans that they are up to. If you're interested in becoming part of the HMG family, simply go to heroesmediagroup.com. Until next time, you've been listening to the Decision Hour.